if there's clarity about a smaller number of tokens, well, at least there's clarity right. about some tokens in terms of which agency oversees the trading, or, you know, spot market trading of those tokens. And mm-hmm. I think it's better for the public and better for investors and frankly, better for exchanges like FTX from a commercial perspective. Mm-hmm. If you can get at least some clarity over some things or about some things sooner, right? recognizing that, again, there's still going to be some areas of grayness and murkiness in the industry that you just have to continue trying to ultimately clarify, but just in the meanwhile, work, work through. Welcome to Tech Intersect. I'm your host, Tanya Evans, and my life and work exist at the heart of law, business, and technology. Yeah, I've earned a few fancy titles and degrees over the years, but the bottom line is I'm a writer, speaker, teacher, and lifelong learner, and I'm really excited that you've joined me on this journey. So what is Tech Intersect? Well, it's authentic, empowering conversations with really interesting guests who demystify complex topics to prepare you for the future because your future is now. And it exists where law, business, and tech intersect. Get ready to listen, learn, and leverage. Let's get started. In this episode of Tech Intersect, I am so very excited to welcome Mark Weijin to the show. He is head of policy and regulatory strategy at FTX, a cryptocurrency exchange. And I invited Mark on to discuss some recent bipartisan legislative initiatives that seek to clarify the crypto asset regulatory environment, and also to talk about a really exciting crypto education initiative recently launched by FTX, hashtag get to know crypto, and also about how platforms like FTX play an important role in ensuring the future of work, wealth, and creativity are accessible and inclusive for all. Now, before we get started, Mark and I had this discussion in August before my extended vacation in Europe, visiting Italy and France and points in between. So some of our conversation speaks to recent legislative initiatives that actually happened earlier this year of 2022. So just to give you a bit of time context. Now, before we get started, a quick reminder on digital safety. There are a lot of scammers out there on social media impersonating me and other crypto educators and trailblazers and folks in the space. And I need your help. So now hear this. I will never slide into your DMs to solicit your time or your money like ever. So be careful. (laughs) Make good choices and I've developed an entire free masterclass about the topic of safety so that you can move safely and confidently in the crypto space with the security tips and best practices you need most. So check out secureyourcryptobag.com for more information. That's secureyourcryptobag.com. Now, before we jump into this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to this podcast Tech Intersect and follow me on all social media platforms at IPProfEvans. Be sure to drop a comment or post using hashtag Tech Intersect. Okay, it's time to listen, learn, and leverage. Let's get started. 
In this episode of Tech Intersect, I am so very excited to welcome Mark Weijin to the show. He is the head of policy and regulatory strategy at FTX, which is a crypto exchange that averages 10 billion with a B of daily trading volume and has over 1 million users since November 2021. Mark brings with him extensive experience in the practice of law, policymaking, regulatory strategy, and exchange operations. And prior to joining FTX, Mark held the position of CEO at MyX Futures, where he focused on crypto derivative products and strategic initiatives. He was also nominated by President Barack Obama to serve a five-year term as CFTC commissioner and served as the CFTC's acting chairman upon the departure of the previous chairman in late 2013, Gary Gensler, who is now the chair of the SEC. So I invited Mark on to discuss the recent bipartisan legislative initiatives that really seek to clarify the crypto asset regulatory environment and also about a really exciting crypto education initiative being launched by FTX, hashtag get to know crypto. As a professor, you all know, I love education very much. Um, and I also want to talk about how platforms like FTX can play and do play a really important role in ensuring the future of work and wealth and creativity and to make sure they're accessible and inclusive for all. We'll talk about all of that. It's a lot. We'll talk about all of that and more in a moment. But first, Mark, welcome. Well, thanks very much. Really excited to be here and have this conversation with you today. It's fantastic because I've had a series of conversations with various stakeholders about the recent legislative initiatives. And I think it's a really, really important time. It's this inflection point. You've been in the space a long time and you've seen the ebb and flow. We have all of these new entrants into the space. We have increased education, both on the legislative side, also among regulators. And we have this recent executive order from President Biden that really is calling the complete administrative agency state to really have a coordinated effort. And so all of this is happening at the same time in the midst of a crypto winter. So there's a lot to really unpack to help the average person and also those who are, are in charge of making these initiatives go forward to really start to understand the impact, both intended and unintended. So if we could start at a high level, just your thoughts about, and maybe kind of a, a brief explanation about the recent legislation, specifically on the Senate side, I know Stabenow and, and Boozman working with Senators uh, Booker and Thune, if I'm not mistaken, and then we have the Lummis-Gillibrand piece. Just kind of unpack what's going on um, uh, with those two bills. Yeah, thanks for the question. So here's here's what I would say first in response. So you mentioned, Professor, the most recent bill introduced, the, the Stabenow-Bozeman effort. But I want to I want to just make one more general comment about all of the legislative efforts that we've seen, both in the House and in the Senate. And look, my posture at this point still is that any time we have a well-meaning, constructive legislative initiative coming out of the United States Congress, I get really enthusiastic about that. And because it's obviously an indicator of someone who is representing the people of this country who has taken an interest in the industry and is trying to solve some kind of a problem. And so I say the more the merrier, especially at this stage, because we're still relatively early on in terms of the journey that all of us are on as we try to see the industry grow and mature and, and so on. So there have been a number of different bills that have been introduced as Congress. We're not too far away from the end of this Congress. 
but we've seen efforts from Congressman McHenry. We've seen efforts from Congressman G.T. Thompson and Ro Khanna. Uh, you mentioned Senators Lummis and Gillibrand. And there's there's legislation that's being considered or has been introduced by Senators Toomey and Haggerty on the Senate side. So there's actually a good amount of activity that we've seen, at least by way of introducing bills. The harder part, of course, is how do you advance something after it is introduced? And there are a lot of different factors at play there that determine what happens next after a bill is introduced. And so with all of that said, I'll go back to your original question you'd asked about specifically this most recent bill introduced by Senator Stabenow and Bozeman. And we are really excited about that. It's quite similar to the legislation I referred to earlier introduced by G.T. Thompson and Rokan in the House. It gives authority over spot trading of digital commodities to the CFTC, which already has jurisdiction over derivatives on commodities, including some digital commodities. So there's there are similarities to what's already been done on the House side. It's also somewhat, there are some similarities as well, I should say, with the Lummis-Gillibrand effort mm-hmm. uh, introduced in the Senate just a little bit ago. But what's exciting in particular for me about the Senate bill, Stabenow, Bozeman, and you also mentioned some of the other co-sponsors, Senators Booker and And then more recently, we've heard that Senator Ernst from Iowa is also going Mm. to be a co-sponsor. And I would expect that more members might continue to co-sponsors. What's exciting here is that you have the leaders of this committee on both sides, the chairperson, Stabenow, the ranking member, Senator uh, Bozeman, who are both behind this effort. And so that is a very, very telling sign. And you mentioned some of my background. I worked in the Senate for about seven years in the leader's office. And so Mm. when you see something like that, an effort that has both the chairman and the ranking member behind it, you really have to pay attention because it becomes an indicator of the likelihood of success, or at least the likelihood of a, a forward movement of that particular effort. Right. So, and then you add to that the other two co-sponsors, uh, Senator Thune and Senator Booker, and you start to see a wide spectrum of ideologies, let's say political ideologies that are represented on this very same bill. And then you add to that, again, I mentioned the House bill, Chief Thompson, Rokanis, uh, co-sponsored that in the House, very, very similar bill, mm-hmm. gives the CFTC very similar authority. G.T. Thompson, Republican ranking member of the House Ag Committee, very senior. Rokana, very progressive right. member of the House uh, from the Democratic side. So you piece those two together in particular, and you add Lummis and Gillibrand, you start to see there's a lot of different political philosophies that are represented by the people that are behind this effort. So I'm really excited about that. That is a really important point. And I, I don't want to, um, or, or we can't overstate the importance of where we've been over these past few years, where there have been other attempts at legislative initiatives, you know, immediately comes to mind, like the Token Taxonomy Act or things like that, to bring some clarity, even just to the language, let alone to the appropriate or primary, should I say, the primary a regulatory body that would at least take the lead to have the positioning, as you've said, at this point in time for the leaders of the Senate's Ag Committee to really come together on this. It means that we are at a really important point. And even the fact of this particular stance means that there's been some progress, not without difficulty to be sure. And I think it has a lot to do with the, with the, with the alphabet soup and the intricacies and the nuance of the way that agencies are aligned or misaligned, my word, not yours, and let's talk through it, about the appropriate role and maybe the dividing line, uh, greater clarity between 
securities versus commodities as well. So your thoughts about how this latest legislation will help advance and clarify what I think, and I'm not putting words in your mouth again, but from my point of view, to see the CFTC as the primary uh, regulator that would focus on empowering the CFTC to regulate primarily. So, So your thoughts on that. You love listening to podcasts, but have you ever thought about starting your own podcast? Maybe you want to build a brand, grow your business, or are looking for an excuse to talk about your favorite hobby. Whatever your reason for making a podcast, Buzzsprout is the place to start. Since 2009, Buzzsprout has helped over 300,000 people launch their own podcasts. Buzzsprout walks you step-by-step through the whole process and will give you powerful tools to start, grow, and monetize your podcast. Ready to get started? Click the link in the show notes to get our free step-by-step guide to starting your podcast today. Yeah, no, it's a really interesting question. And and I have to say, Professor, I don't necessarily see this Senate bill we've been discussing here from uh, Stephen and Bozeman. I don't necessarily see it as or assume that it would render or will render if it becomes law the CFTC as the primary regulator of digital assets. One of the things that we have talked about internally, and, and we've shared these thoughts with the Congress over these last number of months now, is that Congress typically solves things in a piecemeal fashion or incrementally. And what we've tried to do is identify very particular and almost narrow issues or problems that Congress could solve. Mm -hmm. And we've tried to be really laser, laser focused on a small number of them. And when you think about digital assets, it touches on so many different spheres of the economy. And Therefore, there's all sorts of committees of jurisdiction that over time will have some role to play in all this. And if you look at the center, uh, you look at the Lummis Gillibrand bill, there's potentially 15 to 16 agencies that could be Im- implicated by that legislation. Right. So that's very, that's very broad. That's a lot of agencies involved. That's a lot of committees of jurisdiction involved as a consequence. What we've tried to do, though, is be very laser focused on very specific challenges or issues or pain points. And then we try to identify those to the Congress. And we've recommended that is sort of solve one problem at a time. This bill doesn't solve the question of whether some of these digital tokens that have been listed for trading on, even on U.S. platforms, right, um, doesn't solve or answer the question whether some of them should or should not be securities. What it says, it, it defers on that on purpose. So, and I, you know, don't take it from me, take it from the members who introduced the bill and their staff, but, right. but it happens to be consistent with some of the thinking that we've had, which is, Let's defer on thorny questions if we can still solve some more immediate issues in the meanwhile and get some traction on that and then build on that momentum. And so that's right. really been the strategy that we've recommended. And I think this bill that we're talking about here largely refre- reflects that approach. In fact, I've seen some commentary from law firms that say, well, here are some deficiencies in this bill. It doesn't answer this question of whether mm. uh, a security should be redefined or whether some of these tokens should be securities, et cetera. Like, yeah, that's intentional because if you get into that, you're going to involve another committee and the whole process becomes way, way more complicated. Meanwhile, trading volumes from the trading of Bitcoin and Ethereum, those two tokens alone, which courts have already said are not securities, right? The trading volumes from those tokens alone is very substantial. It's very substantial. You know, I I don't have the exact figures in front of me uh, during our talk here, but, I'm guessing it's probably anywhere, 
between 35 to 50% of the trading volumes in FTX probably come from contracts and derivatives referencing Bitcoin and Ethereum, just those mm -hmm. two. And of course, there are a lot of other tokens that are out there that have been listed. So, but if you can solve for 30 to 50% of the market and say, here's clear authority of one agency over the spot trading for tokens that include those two, right. that's, a, that's a big step forward, a huge step forward. And again, it doesn't solve everything, but it solves a lot. And so we should take the opportunities to solve things when we can. And when we know there's consensus around it, when we know it's less complicated to solve that particular problem because it involves, in this case, you know, fewer committees, I think that's the that's the approach that is a smart approach to take. And that seems to be a general approach reflected in this piece of legislation. And like I said, there's so many things out there. There are tax issues. Right. Um, there are other market issues that we've already touched on and so on. So this is a narrow bill addressing a, a pretty targeted issue, but it's it would be a really important one to, to address and, and have solved to some extent by legislation. It's a really good point to have that laser focus because of the complexity of crypto assets. And I talk more broadly just about crypto assets because sometimes cryptocurrencies can be a bit of a misnomer when there are so many coins and tokens that certainly have attributes of currencies, but have attributes of other things as well. We know there are over 20,000 and counting, depending upon when you're listening to this conversation. Coins and tokens that function in different ways, they're on different platforms, and it is just, sometimes I wonder if a complete sui generis approach to something completely different. And if we had, you know, an ideal world where we could start from scratch, that's one thing. I just don't know in this moment in time if that, I'm, I'm almost certain it's not practical at this point in time. Maybe as the ecosystem continues to grow and we learn more things down the line, that is a story for another day. But to your point, to focus on the areas of consensus and the things that can be done with this with few agencies and oversight agents, uh, legislative bodies or committees, I should say, as possible, that can be done right now. And so in, in this way, I think that we're advancing the football to be sure. I have seen some of the commentary and criticism, I guess, that uh, the language of, of the bill that we're referencing still relies on the SEC and I guess, ultimately the courts really to create the dividing line. And I think it's the, an important point that you made. Maybe that is the way that it should be for now, because there are several of the other things that we could be more definitive about and take those things off the table, if I understand what you're saying correctly. You are listening to the Tech Intersect podcast with Professor Tanya M. Evans. Powered by Advantage Evans. Yeah, that's that's basically it. And if there's clarity about a smaller number of tokens, well, at least there's clarity right. about some tokens in terms of which agency oversees the trading, or, you know, spot market trading of those tokens. Mm -hmm. And I think it's better for the public and better for investors and frankly, better for exchanges like FTX from a commercial perspective, mm -hmm. if you can get at least some clarity over some things or about some things sooner, right? recognizing that, again, there's still going to be some areas of grayness and murkiness in the industry that you just have to continue trying to ultimately clarify, but just in the meanwhile, work, work through. Right. How has 
before we jump into education, because this is something that has come up and I've been asked a lot about it um, when I've been doing press recently about obviously tornado cash and it brings the the more important question about privacy and the role of financial privacy. And I'm just wondering what your take or stance is on the impact of and implications for financial privacy when you have also obviously the very real concerns of particular actors. And I'll be transparent with my own point of view from a First Amendment perspective. And also my background, not only is in technology, but intellectual property. And so, you know, I remember from like the late nineties with Napster and Grokster and the like, and we were having these, these huge concerns from an intellectual property point of view generally, but copyright in particular about what on earth would we do with this software that allows for both infringing and non-infringing uses. It's kind of the same type of conversation here. I felt like, I feel like we've already done this with encryption wars and it's just like encryption wars two or 3.0 at this point in time. But I'm always concerned when there is an initiative to focus on technology or software instead of the actor and the potential implications for that if we have a continued focus on the criminality of software, uses of software rather than the actors themselves. So that's what I've been kind of processing as I I talk about it. I'm wondering your take or your stance on where we are with that as well. Yeah, no, this is this is a very delicate issue for sure. And you've already touched on it, but clearly the United States of America, and frankly, any country has national security interests. And certainly as Americans, I'm guessing you would agree with the statement that that's an important principle for the United States is to ensure there's adequate measures in place to to protect our national security, to protect our interests as a country uh, on the world stage. And then in this case, how does that align with or, or does that create some tension with or is it in conflict with some of these other principles that we also hold dear and reflected in documents like the Constitution and various statutes and, and all the rest. And mm. that's what's going on here, I think. We have a particular agency within Treasury that's focused on our national security, trying to figure out how do we police activity that seems to be in service to nefarious actors who are trying to harm the United States and, and trying to impair uh, our national security interests as a country, but then how how does an effort to address that concern, how does that impact personal freedoms, privacy considerations, in this case, as you say, activities that are being performed not by necessarily by persons, um, although there are people involved using the technology, but right. in this case, it's a pro, it's a software protocol. And we're obviously, as you say, at the, at the outset, you're talking about tornado cash. So it's a very difficult issue. I think there's a lot of things to speak to here, but I think one of the things that we've tried to be thoughtful about at FTX is understanding everyone's interests here, including, frankly, the Treasury Department and understanding what their goals and objectives are. Right. And trying to be trying to be empathetic about that. But also, I think it's fair and constructive for those of us in the industry to identify some of these other implications Mm. that are a result of actions that have already been taken and and just start that conversation, that constructive dialogue in this case with, with OFAC about whether there might be a more targeted way to address the concern. Right. And so we at FTX have been part of, mainly through other organizations and trade associations that we're part of, we've not engaged directly in Treasury about this, but we're part of discussions about, okay, what's the, what's the right approach to have this conversation with the Treasury issue? 
do we do it as a group? I think the answer to that question is yes, although some people might uh, go it alone in terms of other companies having direct mm-hmm. conversations. But it just sent, making sure that there's the right information that the federal agency involved here needs to have and and maybe suggesting some clarifying statements and guidance that the agency can make to address some of these more broad implications that uh, we're referring to here. Mm-hmm. You know, there are some people that can be victimized and maybe find themselves in a technical infraction of one of the regulations involved here simply by someone sending them through the Tornado Cash mixer an asset that they didn't even ask for. Right. And we so saw that happen, one, right? <laughs> yeah, that's that's just one example. And there are other peculiar circumstances like that, that I think even with some guidance from Treasury could clarify and, and give people a little bit more comfort. But, you know, look, there are still going to be people out there who are way more focused on the privacy implications and way more focused on the technology implications here and how, the, and how those how those two issues are impacted by the OFAC decision. And that's healthy for a democracy to have people bringing those points of view and to debate about those points of view. Right. But we at FTX are trying to consider some of the other interests at stake here, including the national security interests, as we as we try to figure out how to provide the best information to the Treasury Department. I think it's a thoughtful approach. It's obviously necessary for a thriving exchange as well. You know, and I've seen some of the leaders of, of other exchanges said say that. Obviously, we're going to comply, but also advocating for a similar uh, approach of we deal with the regulations that we have today and also push for other regulations that might be more nuanced and targeted. I think this is the theme that we have today, targeted. So we reach this optimum balance between supporting innovation, obviously supporting other constitutional principles here in the States and also protecting consumers, investors, and the country. Yep. Not at all easy and not at all answerable today, but thoughtful to have the full range in order to inform, have a more informed discussion, which I I appreciate very much here. Excellent. All right. Go ahead. Just one other thing, if you don't mind, Professor, right? You know, there's, there's so many exciting technology developments related to zero knowledge proofs and and Mm. ways for identity to be confirmed without necessarily giving that identity away to people that don't need to have it. And, and I think the sooner those sorts of tools come to market and become tested and and people gain trust in them, Mm -hmm. um, that'll help address some of these pain points that we're seeing now. And as exemplified with this tornado cash incident, and the treasury's response. I am actually really, really excited about so many initiatives. I'm a non-technologist, but I'm an early adopter and a complete and total nerd. So I can, you know, fall down many rabbit holes when I think about, did an interview recently with someone on the pod about self-sovereign identity and other areas that I think are going to be really, really interesting going forward. And it also speaks to the fact that we're still so early. All right. So I'm really excited about this latest uh, educational initiative, and I've spoken to some of the folks there just to get a handle on it. I've spent some time with the video. I've seen some of the tweets since I live in the Twitterverse. Talk to us about this uh, new push on Get to Know Crypto. I think platforms have uh, hopefully, I think, a responsibility, but I also see a lot of platforms 
taking an appropriate stance on let me educate people because if they're not educated on the the simple stuff, not so simple, I should say, of, of wallets and the relationship between wallets and exchanges and blockchains, then they're never going to onboard and we're not going to have the mass adoption that we want that would support a vibrant exchange. So what's going on on the get to know crypto front? Yeah, no, so yeah, we launched that very recently here just in the last few weeks and it really is a campaign that's directed at the people who are really experiencing or having their first impressions of the technology and of the industry. Mm -hmm. And in Washington, D.C., where I work and live, there are still plenty of people that fall into that category that just have not spent a lot of time thinking about crypto. They might not be users of the technology at all. They might not be customers of FTX, for example. Mm -hmm. and, and so are really just starting from ground zero in terms of their educational journey is about the space that, that you and I are more familiar with. So that's what the campaign is for. That's the purpose of it is to try to give really basic information about uh, how, how the technology works, uh, some of the basics around the industry that has formed around the technology, and just a touch of what some of the practical use cases for mm -hmm. the technology are. And if you look at video that we've put up so far and we've sort of spliced it and, and had snippets of it sent out in various various places. Mm -hmm. But the, the original three and a half minute video or however long it is, it touches on all those different points. And I think people who, one of the power users of the FTX platform probably doesn't need to consume this video, mm -hmm. probably isn't going to learn much from it. But again, for someone who's not spend any time thinking about this or doesn't have an FTX account or any of the other accounts or apps that some of our competitors might offer. The, the idea is that this might be basic information that's useful to them. The thing that I, li I, I like a number of things about it, the educator in me, I, you know, I'm in my 17th year in the legal academy, which is really hard for me to say out loud because I practiced for 10 years before this, but also thinking about how I initially had to create a curriculum for my online blockchain crypto and law certificate program when I was the associate dean at the University of New Hampshire's Franklin Pierce School of Law. Thinking through what are the building blocks, especially because even my own education in the space is just, it's not linear. It changes every day. There's new information constantly. So distilling it to some key points of you know, the fact that crypto assets are digital money, what you can do with it, people ask me all the time, how it can be transferred, how is it similar to or different from things like PayPal or Venmo or Zelle, right? The connection of crypto assets to blockchains. And most importantly, and I'm really glad that you all highlight this on the Get to Know You, excuse me, Get to Know Crypto.us website that crypto assets remove barriers to economic freedom. Um, and this idea of economic justice is how I talk about it in empowering communities around the world. Why is that important to you, to, to FTX, I, I should say, to identify the inclusion aspect in addition to the education piece? Yeah, no, you've touched on an important principle or philosophy for the company, and it obviously comes from Sam, our, our CEO and founder, and, and I know it's something held dear by the other founders as well, and it's just part of the culture here at FTX and, and something that I just think people who work here very, very strongly believe in. That it, I, I, The way I think about it, I think you and I think about it the same. I'm 
can use maybe slightly different words is that it's just equal treatment for mm -hmm. everyone. So every product should have, so long as a person is educated about it, I guess is an important caveat, but every product should be equally accessible to everyone. Right. And you shouldn't, and by the way, this is not a, this is not something that's widely held popular view in the democratic party necessarily even, but even investment opportunities. I just think that something like a means test is, is, is not progressive. Right. The idea that you are denied certain investment opportunities because you don't have enough money mm. um, does not seem like a progressive policy to me. Instead, the test should be, do you understand the risks involved in using this product or investing um, in this opportunity or in this asset or whatever the case might be? That right. should be the test. And obviously, the way means testing has come up in investment products over time has really been more of a function of, well, there's, it's really hard to design a different test. Hmm. So I don't want to be too critical of the status quo here, but I think we are in an age now where, um, and frankly, we're dealing with this very issue at FTX as we try to move into the U.S. market hmm. and offer derivatives products to U.S. investors. And derivatives products have been available to U.S. retail investors for, uh, you know, for decades. Right. And anyone can access them today, but you have to go through brokers. And depending on the broker you use, you might have to go through some kind of a means test or you might have to go through some kind of a knowledge test. And there's not a lot of standardization there. But we at FTX and I myself included very strongly believe that you, should, any, you or I, anyone else should have access to anything they want. So long as it's clear that the person seeking access understands the risks involved. Right. Um, and so we've been working on that, like I said, in the context of our application, too. We're developing different knowledge tests to make sure that people want to trade derivatives on a Bitcoin, for example, really understand what's going on there. But that's equal access in this way is what is really going to broaden the economic opportunity in this country. And the more we push on that as as not only a company, but as a, as a matter of policy, we're going to increase the economic pie as a result. And we're also, I think, going to mete out subjectivity that's currently in place, intentional or not, right? that denies the sort of access that we're talking about here. Really, really important. If we're going to create in this Web3 future of wealth, money, work, creativity, this environment, and not just replicate what has come before, it's incumbent upon us in the private sector, in the public sector, in the education realm to really double down on precisely what you've talked about as a matter of equal access, transparency. That's the whole point, it seems, of disclosure rules. But if those disclosure rules are counterbalanced with like accredited investor rules and, and, and that hampers accessibility to actually move the needle where people aren't just focusing on income, but actually amassing assets that work harder than me. This is my goal in life. I want things to work harder than me so that I could be in the South of France, which I will be in <laughs> in about two weeks. But I digress. We're not talking about me. Um, <laughs> so, Mark, thank you so much. Um, I'm looking at the time. I want to be respectful of your time. I appreciate very much the time that you spent today. You are welcome back anytime. I'm a huge fan of the exchange and also this initiative. We have to figure out a way at Advantage Evans to figure out some connection with FTX because I know that in my private platform of educating people, mostly those who've been systemically marginalized in the lion's share, just women of color who have some assets, 
tend to be more conservative, but also lifelong learners who don't want to get left behind. We're like have this small window of opportunity to ensure that people have traditionally been left behind because they just didn't have all of the information, either intentionally or unintentionally. But we have a really unique opportunity. And so I'm really encouraged by what you're working on at FTX and just who you are as a person. I have a great deal of respect for everything that you've worked on for. I can't think of a better person to serve the role that you are currently serving than you. So well, that's um, very kind. Thank you. I appreciate this. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I feel very lucky to be involved in this industry at this time and, and have the opportunity to leverage some of my prior experiences to help the industry and help FTX and along the way, educate the public a little bit. That's, that's a lot of what this role is about. And it's a, it's a very gratifying role. Excellent. Well, please share with the listeners how they can learn more about you and the work of FTX. And I will share this in the show notes as well about get to know you, get to know crypto. What do I keep saying that? Get to know crypto.us. But how can they stay uh, connected with you, learn more about you and FTX? Yeah, so I do um, try and stay really somewhat active on Twitter, not as <laughs> not nearly as active as my colleagues. I'm <laughs> frankly much older than they are, and so a little <laughs> bit newer to the platform. But uh, no, I can be found there at, at Mark Weijin, and um, also try to be somewhat active on LinkedIn as well. And when I say active, uh, really what I'm referring to there is that we have tried to put out a decent amount of materials speaking to some of these different policy issues that have come up. And so we publish different papers and blog posts and things of, of that sort. And you can follow updates to our work there by visiting Twitter and visiting LinkedIn and searching for that hashtag. But you can also look for Sam. He's at, at SBF, I think. I have to double check that. But um, you can do a search and easily find him as well. And one of the things that has also been exciting about being at FTX is Sam is genuinely interested in policy issues. He, has, mm -hmm. he does have a, a very high regard for what's best for the public interest. And so um, he's taken a very active role in, in the advocacy the company has done here in Washington. So that's he's been our not-so-secret weapon uh, <laughs> in terms of getting access and telling the story that needs to be told, not just, again, about FTX, but also about the industry more broadly. Excellent. And I will throw in one other website for folks to focus on policy specifically, ftxpolicy.com. I will include that in the show notes as well. Mark, I appreciate you very much and I look forward to future conversations and joining you in, in policy initiatives and efforts because there are some common themes that connect all of us in the ecosystem and I'm excited about the future, particularly with folks like you working on some really tough issues in a really positive way. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening to the Tech Intersect podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you love it, please tell the world. If not, go ahead and tell me. And in either case, drop a comment or ping me on social media at IPProfEvans with the hashtag Tech Intersect. And finally, a quick reminder on digital safety. There are a lot of scammers out there impersonating me and others, and I need your help. Now hear this, and remember, I will never slide into your DMs to say peace and blessings or hey, and I will never reach out to solicit your time or your money on social media like ever. 
I'm not a trader. I am an educator and an attorney licensed in four states. Thank you very much. I'm here to inform, inspire, and empower. No cap and definitely no forex. So be careful, make good choices, and remember, I developed an entire free masterclass about the topic of digital safety in the crypto space. So check out secureyourcryptobag.com for more information. That's secureyourcryptobag.com. All right, that's all for this episode. Until next time, continue to shine.